you have been following along with us the last couple of weeks, then this will be a little bit of a review for you. But a review is probably necessary to move into the topic that we're going to consider together today. Presently here at Cross Connection Church, we are taking a look at some of the basics of our Christian faith. And we're considering what I'm calling the disciplines of a disciple. The last two weeks, we were focused on the topic of salvation, which is a very important topic because it is by the saving work of Jesus Christ that you become a Christian. And not only a Christian, but you become a disciple of Jesus. What we've seen previously in the last couple of messages as we were talking about salvation is that your good works and your religious righteousness will not save you. Those things that we oftentimes try to do to make ourselves right before God, they are not sufficient. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, that all of our good works are like filthy rags before a holy God. So what we find when we look at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible as a whole, is that only trust in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross ultimately is that which brings salvation. This is exactly what Paul says in a couple of the most famous verses of scripture found in the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two at verse eight. There Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By Christ Jesus, we find as we go through the scriptures that we are saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus and the work that he did on the cross has accomplished our salvation so that he has redeemed us from the penalty of sin. This is what you would call justification if you were studying in a theology class. But not only are we saved from the penalty of sin through justification, through what Jesus did on the cross, but we are being saved from the power of sin through what you would call sanctification. So the penalty of sin has been dealt with through the work that Jesus did on the cross, his finished work. When he, on the cross, his last words, he says, it is finished. So he takes his righteousness and he puts it to our account as we trust in him. By grace, through faith, we are saved. That's justification. But right now, if you are saved, if you've been justified by the work that Jesus has done, you are being saved from the power of sin in sanctification. And the promise of the scriptures, because of what Jesus did on the cross, not only can we be saved from the penalty of sin, not only are we being saved from the power of sin, but we shall be saved from the presence of sin at the time of glorification. So these three things are the the whole of this topic of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Jesus Christ saves us completely and wholly by his righteousness. The author of the New Testament book of Hebrews, I believe in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19, says that the law, the Old Testament law of God, makes nothing perfect. But in chapter 7 verse 25 of the same book, Hebrews, there the author of the book of Hebrews tells us, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to completely and wholly save those who put their trust in him. And so Jesus Christ saves us completely by his righteousness. And when you are saved, the Bible describes you as being in Christ. Those are the words that are often applied to those who are Christians. They are in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, if you read the opening words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, he talks about what that really means to be in Christ Jesus. And he says this, he says that we, in Christ Jesus, we are redeemed, that is, purchased out of 
our slavery to sin and death. So we're redeemed. We are forgiven of all of our past sins, of any sin that we ever will commit. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're accepted. Accepted by a holy and righteous God because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And not only are we accepted, we are adopted. We're adopted into the family of God. So we are redeemed. We're forgiven. We're accepted. We're adopted. And we are, at this moment, if you're a Christian and you've put your trust in Christ, having been redeemed, having been forgiven, having been accepted and adopted into the family of God, you are being transformed. You're being made righteous by God's sanctifying power, His work in your life. These and many other abundant blessings are given to us as we are in Christ, when we are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, hopefully, all of that is review for you. Hopefully, you are fully aware of these truths. These are the truths that are taught in the scriptures. These are the first things, if you will, the basic truths of Christianity. My concern, though, is that a lot of times you can find yourself attending church or studying the Bible within a church and not know these things. I've discovered in more than 20 years of pastoral ministry that there are a lot of people who go to church on a week in and week out basis, or they watch church services online, who actually don't know these basic truths, these first things of the Christian faith, having to do with being redeemed and forgiven and accepted and adopted by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by the saving power of Jesus. So those are the basics. It's kind of a review of where we've been. Now, after the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that we are saved by grace, through faith, that not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He goes on and he says more in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The very next verse, he says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, notice this, for good works. We're saved by grace through faith, not by good works, but we are saved for good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've got a Bible and you're reading that verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I would encourage you to underline or circle that word should at the end of verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the expectation of the Christian, the, the ethical response, the only right response to being saved by Jesus Christ is now to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. We should walk in those. This is a powerful and informative statement from the Apostle Paul. Our good works, as I have said last week and the week before, and even at the beginning of this message this morning, our good works do not save us. But having been saved, justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ, having been saved, we are saved for good works. So not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. You don't receive salvation because of your good works, but you do receive salvation to do good works. God has good works for us to accomplish and to do. And you know, a great passage that really sums all of this up is found in another one of the Apostle Paul's books in the New Testament, a letter that he wrote to uh, 
a younger pastor by the name of Titus, and he says this. Paul writes this in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Maybe you remember living in that condition that Paul describes there in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, but he goes on and he says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, he redeemed us, he justified us, he saved us, how? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified, past tense, having been justified by his grace, we should, there's that word again, should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We should, Paul says, be careful to maintain good works. God has prepared beforehand, or another way of saying it is, God has foreordained good works that you and I should walk in them. This is the saving work of sanctification. This is where that saving work of sanctification comes in. We've already talked about how we have been justified by grace through faith. God has saved us, but he wants to redeem and save us completely. And this is that process of sanctification where we having been saved by grace through faith, we now should walk in these good works. That's the, the thing that we ought to do now that we are saved by Jesus Christ. So sanctification is or should be the focus of the individual that has been saved by Jesus Christ. So listen, if you are a Christian and you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, that means that you've been rescued and redeemed from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, which is death, no longer applies to you, spiritual death. But now that you are a Christian, your focus should be on this work of sanctification taking place in your life. Now, I have shared this with this church, Cross Connection Church, many times before. My favorite verses in the Bible are found in Philippians chapter 2, again, written by the Apostle Paul, New Testament book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. There the Apostle Paul says this, he says to the church at Philippi, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, it is essential when talking about this saving work of sanctification, where we are progressively becoming more like Jesus Christ as God is working in us by his spirit and through his word and through prayer and the body of Christ, all these things. It's essential when we're talking about this saving work of sanctification that we understand that this is a work that God is doing in us and through us by his Holy Spirit but it is also a work that we are joining with God to accomplish. So the question, when we start to talk about this issue of sanctification, as we're gonna expand upon this today, the question that always arises when you're talking about passages like Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13, or when you're talking about God working in us to accomplish the salvation as we're working out our salvation, the question then comes up, so who is it? Is it God who is doing this sanctifying work or 
are we doing something in this sanctifying process and this sanctifying work? And the answer to those questions is yes and yes. God is doing a work in us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. But you also have a work that you are doing with God where you are working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is working in you to transform your desires. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says. It is God who works in you to will, or in another translation of the Bible, to desire. And he's empowering you to do those things that are pleasing to him. But you are involved in this work of sanctification as well as you work out your own salvation. God saved you. He rescued you from the penalty of sin and death. He redeemed you from your slavery to sin and death. He justified you, not by works of righteousness that you have done, but you have been saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, not of works, but you are saved for good works and you should walk in those things. Those things don't make you you know, more righteous, so to speak, before God, because he's declared you righteous because of the, he's clothed you in Christ's righteousness is what the Bible makes very, very clear. But he wants us to work out the work that he's done in us. And this is what it literally means to be a disciple. A disciple, you could sum it up like this. A disciple of Jesus is a faithful and obedient follower of Christ. A disciple is one that is working out their own salvation, just like Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says. And here's the thing. I'm a pastor, and God commissioned his servants, his pastors, and the church to go into all the world and make disciples. So my focus is to see you raised up, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be a faithful and obedient follower of Jesus, to become a disciple, one who is working out your salvation. So I preach the gospel so that you would believe that you'd trust in Jesus and that you'd be redeemed, that you will be saved from the penalty of sin. But I also teach the scriptures and I want to encourage and equip you so that you would work out that salvation and become a faithful follower, a disciple of Jesus. One of my favorite commentaries on this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2 uh, comes from a man who I, I really respect, who was a professor of mine in some classes that I've taken, uh, Dr. Richard Mellick. He writes this on this passage here in Philippians chapter 2, where he's talking about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is great. He says this, personal salvation brings with it responsibilities, which Paul related to Christians' obedience. The responsibility was to live in accord with their salvation letting the implications of their relationship with Christ transform their social relationships. Paul really meant in the first place that they were to act like Christians. So what is Dr. Richard Mellick saying in that passage? He says, listen, you've been saved and now you have a responsibility to live in a way like someone who is saved. You need to work out that salvation that God has worked into you by his Holy Spirit. And quite literally, you're to act like a Christian. And Christian Another way of saying that is act like a person who is Christ-like. Now, when I think about these things, when we are confronted with these truths, we can sometimes begin to be a bit concerned. We can become a little bit concerned because even after we are saved, justified, Jesus rescues us from the penalty of sin. After we are justified, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not perfect. You still fail. I still fall short. So when I read that I have a, a work to do to work out my salvation, it causes a bit of fear and trembling, if you will, because I start to wonder, 
will I fail at this work? What if I fail to work out my salvation? What assurances do I have of success in this working out of my salvation? Not just what assurances do I have, but what help do I have to accomplish this working out of salvation? And on top of what help do I have, what tools do I have to help me fulfill this work of sanctification? In the work of sanctification, these are the important, really big questions. These are the questions that I hope over the rest of this series to kind of flesh out a little bit and to answer. The questions of, you know, will I fail in this work of salvation? What assurances do I have for success? What help do I have? What tools do I have to be able to accomplish this? These are the important questions that we're going to be considering. The disciplines of a disciple. This series is really all about the training and tools for becoming an obedient follower, a disciplined disciple of Jesus. Most of what we're going to look at over the next several weeks will have to do with those final two questions. What help do we have to be able to uh, bring about this sanctifying work and what tools do we have to bring about that sanctifying work? But I also wanna answer those, those other questions having to do with, you know, what if I fail or what assurances do I have for success in this work of sanctification as I'm seeking to follow after Jesus and to work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Is there any assurance that I will succeed in this, that I will not fail in this work of um, sanctification? And to answer those questions, there's a couple of passages, again, in the book of Philippians that, that really address that. One is found in a passage in Philippians chapter one and the other is found in a passage in Philippians chapter four, the last chapter. So look at Philippians chapter one, verse three, if you have your Bible there. There Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice this, verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing to consider. Will I fail? Will I have success in this sanctifying work? Philippians 1.6, next verse is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. There Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So important here. We can be confident that God will strengthen us and fulfill his sanctifying work in us. How can we be confident that God will strengthen us and fulfill his sanctifying work in us? Because the scriptures say, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So when Paul says in Philippians chapter two, verse 12, to you, if you're a Christian, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you start to think, I don't know if I can do that because I still fail, I still fall short. We can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he will strengthen you to do that work. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So since this is true, since we know that these things are true, therefore, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse one, therefore having these promises, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and I can be confident that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Therefore, having these promises beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Remember the basics. God is working 
in me. He's working in you. And God will accomplish his work of sanctification. Just in the same way that Jesus says, it is finished when he's on the cross to accomplish the work for your justification. God is working in me. He's working in you. He will accomplish this work of sanctification. And he has called me and he's called you, if you're a Christian, to work out this salvation in our lives. What he has worked into us, he wants to be worked out from us as we are working with God to do these things, to walk out this sanctifying work. And I can be confident that he will complete this work that he started in me. And I have to work out my own salvation, but he is working in me to desire and to do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, this is the truth that we find in the scriptures as we're talking about justification and sanctification and looking forward to ultimate glorification. God is working in me to will and to do his good pleasure. I have to work out this salvation with fear and trembling. But I recognize and probably you recognize if you've tried to follow Jesus faithfully and to be an obedient follower of Jesus, I, I need help because I fall short. I have to cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh, as 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I don't think you walk in perfect holiness. I know for certain that I don't walk in perfect holiness, not all the time. I want to, but I don't always walk that way. So I need help. How am I possibly going to be able to effectively deal with what the Bible calls the old man or my sinful nature or my flesh. We find these terms used in various places in the Bible. The old man, the sinful flesh, you know, the, the sinful nature, the flesh. These things come up all the time. So I need a helper. Good news, there is a helper. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, he said this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 at verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Stop right there for just a moment. If you love me, keep my commandments. So we want to be obedient followers of Jesus. To be an obedient follower of Jesus, I have to keep his commandments. But I've tried to keep the commandments and I'm no better at it than you are. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's something that we have a hard time doing. But he says this in verse 16. And I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I'm sure that you have noticed that even after trusting in Christ Jesus, even after receiving redemption and forgiveness and acceptance and adoption, after receiving that justifying righteousness of Christ, I'm sure you've noticed that you still fall short. You still can sometimes be snappy with your spouse. You can still sometimes be impatient with your kids. You can still be sometimes unkind with strangers or even coworkers. So after you have received the salvation of Jesus Christ, I'm sure you've experienced the fact that you still sin and you still fall short. We still have this big, strong flesh. But the good news is we have a bigger, stronger helper. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When you become a Christian, by grace through faith, one of the first indications that you have become a child of God is that you have a new desire, which you did not have before you were a Christian, to keep God's commandments, to do what is right and to do what is good. You desire to do what is right and do what is good because God has worked in you to desire what is pleasing to him. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says. So you desire to do these good works, but you fall short of that desire. You fail. And we all have had this experience. Paul says this, this failing experience in the book of Romans, New Testament, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul says, for I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will, the desire is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, the good things that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Can you relate to this? This is the struggle with the flesh, the old man, the sinful nature. This is the struggle that we all experience. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. We have been forgiven. But the good things we want to do, we don't do. And the bad things we don't want to do, that's what we practice. I know you can relate to this because this is the struggle that we all face. Now, we can argue endlessly all day long, and many people have, over whether or not the individual that Paul describes in Romans 7, the one who the good things they want to do, they don't do, and the bad things they don't want to do, that they practice. We can argue all day long what Paul is exactly talking about, and is this person a Christian, or maybe this person isn't a Christian. You can argue that all you want, but I don't think it matters, because I've yet to meet a Christian that cannot identify with the struggle that Paul describes there. The good things that I want to do, that I desire to do, I don't do, and the bad things that I don't want to do, I still do those. To the point that Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I want to be sanctified. I know I'm rescued. I know I'm redeemed. I know I'm forgiven. I know I've been accepted. I know I've been adopted into the family of God. I don't want to walk in sin any longer. Why? Because God has given me new desires to follow him faithfully, to be a disciple. I see Christ's love demonstrated for me on the cross. And I love him because he first loved me, even when I was unlovely, when I was dead in trespasses and sins. Therefore, I want to keep his commandments, but the good commandments that I want to keep, I don't keep. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments there in John's gospel. And then he says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, the spirit of truth. He emphasizes it by saying it, Again, a few verses later, in John chapter 14, verse 23, there he says, Jesus answered and said to him, speaking to one of his disciples, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, our helper, enables and empowers us in this work of sanctification. So, Jesus has rescued us from the penalty of sin. He is saving us from the power of sin. And it is the Holy Spirit, our helper, that enables and empowers us in this sanctifying work as God is sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit of God, he is called the helper. And the Holy Spirit is, is not a thing. It's not a force, kind of like, you know, Star Wars, may the, may the force be with you. That's, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He proceeds from the Father. The Holy Spirit is God. In theological terms, we would say that the Holy Spirit is God and that he is the third person of the Trinity. And I don't have time to get into the doctrine of the Trinity today. That's for another discussion. Simply today, we're saying that the Holy Spirit is a person. It is God. And he is called the Spirit of Truth. And he helps us by enabling and empowering us as followers of Christ to follow Christ faithfully and to be witnesses of Christ in this world. Now, when Jesus says in John's gospel that the Holy Spirit is the helper, that word helper 
in this passage is, it's interesting. It is the Greek word parakletos. And this word parakletos, it comes from, it's a compound word, meaning para, with, and kletos, or kaleo, the, the verb kaleo, is to speak or to call or to bid. And so effectively, the spirit is, if you can think of it like this, is almost like a personal trainer. And I know that there's going to be someone that's going to be bothered by that because they're going to think like it's kind of blasphemous for me to speak in that way. But just imagine it like this. The Holy Spirit, the, as he is doing this work of parakaleo, he's the parakletos, as he's doing this work, he's almost like a personal trainer. He comes alongside of us. You know, the trainer's not going to do the work for you. They're not going to lift the weights for you. They're not going to do the sit-ups and the push-ups for you. But the trainer comes alongside of us and he calls us, he bids us to do these things and to press on and to push through and to keep going and you can do it you can and he calls us along he bids us to walk with him and to follow after god that's what the holy spirit is doing as he is helping us and he wants us to follow after god and to walk after god in the new testament book of galatians chapter 5 verse 16 paul says there i say then walk in the spirit as you're following after the Spirit of God, as the Holy Spirit is calling you to walk towards God, he says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Romans chapter 7, the good things I want to do, I don't practice, and the bad things I don't want to do, that I practice. Well, as we walk in the Spirit, it is the Spirit who calls us and enables us to reject the desires of the old man, the sinful nature, our flesh. The Holy Spirit helps us to overcome the desires of our flesh. This is a major aspect of the sanctifying work that Christ is doing in us. He is working in us to desire and to do those things that are pleasing to him. And the disciplines of a disciple begin with the working of God by the Holy Spirit in you and in me. The Holy Spirit is working in us to change our desires and to enable us to follow after God, to walk in the Spirit so we do not fulfill the desires of our flesh. Sanctification in the New Testament, it is attributed to the Holy Spirit. It is the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you are taught, whether by word or by letter, epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So Paul there in that letter to the Thessalonians, he says, listen, it's the sanctifying work of the spirit that is happening in you. And God has saved you by his grace, but he wants to establish you in every good work. And it's not just Paul writing this, the apostle Peter, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. So again, it's the sanctification of the Spirit for what? For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace be multiplied. So the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you and me for what? 
so that we can do these good works. He is sanctifying us for good works. So through the sanctification of the Spirit, we are enabled and empowered to walk in obedience to God, overcoming the desires of our flesh. How, though, does the Spirit do this? The Holy Spirit is the one who is working the sanctification process in us so that we can do good works, so that we can obey God. How does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was in the world and he is with us, but he also promised that the Holy Spirit would be in us. Before we trust in Christ for salvation, before you become a Christian, trusting in the good news of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is in the world and he is with unbelievers. And what is he doing? Jesus says in John's gospel that he is convicting the world of sin and he's convicting the world of righteousness and he's convicting the world of judgment. What's that mean? The Holy Spirit is in the world showing us that God is righteous and we are not. And because God is righteous and we are not, there will be a judgment against our sin. So the Holy Spirit is in the world to convict the world of sin, our sin, God's righteousness and the judgment that is going to come because of our sin in light of his righteousness. But after we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit who was with us, who was convicting us of sin of righteousness and in judgment, he's now in us. The scriptures promise that Jesus, the Messiah, would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with power. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you by Christ at the moment of salvation. We are all by one spirit baptized into one body, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. It is in the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ that God, again, by his spirit, gives you a new heart. Just as was promised in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, Verse 26, he writes this. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel 2,500 years ago. God says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So what is a disciple? It's a person who walks in the statutes of God, who's an obedient follower of Jesus. So through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to remove your old heart. I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So God promised the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we trust that we have the spirit of God dwelling in us once we are saved. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, immediately God's Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us. But what are the signs that this has happened? Because this sounds pretty amazing, sounds pretty far out that when you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. Is there evidence of this? Is there a sign to you, to me, that the Spirit of God's presence in it is in us? Well, there is. First, the Holy Spirit gives us new desires. When the Holy Spirit comes and resides in your life, after you've put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you new desires. Desire, desires to obey and follow the Lord. These these new desires include things like a desire to know God through his word, a desire to pray, a desire to be in fellowship with other Christians, which we're going to be talking about in future messages in this season, in this uh, series. We're going to talk about the word of God. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about fellowship within the body of Christ. So one of the first signs that you're a child of God and the spirit of God is dwelling in you, in you is that he gives you new desires. Secondly, the Holy Spirit not only gives you new desires, but gives you enabling power to overcome the 
evil desires of your flesh. We, we already considered Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So, so that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in you. First, you have the desire to follow God. Second, you no longer want to follow after sin. And so you are given a new desires, but you're also given emp empowering by the Holy Spirit to reject those old impulses. The third sign that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you is that the Holy Spirit produces in you what is called the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is found in the New Testament book of Galatians in Galatians chapter 5. And Paul in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but first he gives kind of a contrast about the works of the flesh. He says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. After he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. He says this, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are things like adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's the key, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such good things, there is no law. And those who are Christ's, you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, you are his possession. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its desires, its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So what are the signs or the evidences that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you? The Holy Spirit's invisible. You know, how do you, how do you know that you've been born again by the Spirit of God? How do you know that the Spirit of God is residing within you? Well, for one, he gives you new desires. Two, he gives you the power to overcome the desires of your flesh. Three, he begins to produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and so forth. So as you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and filled with his power, you begin to see the manifestation of the Spirit in your life. The Spirit of God is producing these evidences in your life that you begin to see love, joy, peace, kindness. Where there was once anxiety, now there's peace. Where there was once extreme sadness and a lack of hopefulness, now there's joy. Where there was once irritability, there begins to be patience. Where there was once impulsiveness, there begins to be self-control. Where there was once harshness, there begins to be gentleness. These are the evidences that God, by his spirit, is working salvation. He's working it out in you. So the first evidence that the spirit of God is in you is that he's given you new desires. The second evidence is that he begins to empower you to fulfill those new desires and to reject the old impulses of your flesh. Third, he begins to produce the fruit of the spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and so forth. Fourth, the fourth evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you is that the Holy Spirit gives you a desire to serve God and he empowers you for service by gifting you with what are called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a few places in the Bible where we can read about the gifts of the Spirit. One is in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapters 12 through 14. Another one is in Romans, I believe it's chapter 10. Another place in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a number of places in the Bible where we read about some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit it is an entire series of itself. I mean, you go into a very long series on the gifts of the Spirit, which I'm sure we'll do in the future. We've done it in the past. If you go on our website, 
lifeinconnection.com. Go to the media section, lifeinconnection.com slash media. You will find teachings that I did on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from probably about 10 years ago. But I did a, a whole bunch of teachings in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 on the gifts of the Spirit. You can find those there. We'll talk about those at another time. But all that to say this, the fourth evidence that the Spirit of God is residing in you is that he gives you a desire to serve God and he empowers you for that service by giving you the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus promised this in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to do good works and to be good witnesses. This is really important. This is when we're talking about this sanctifying work that God is doing in us, he saves us completely from the penalty of sin. That's justification. He is saving us right now from the power of sin in our life through sanctification by the Holy Spirit as we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling as he is working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. The Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to do good works and to be good witnesses in this work, in this world. In reality, there's so much more that I, I could say about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. There are actually volumes of books written on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit more in the future for sure. But I, I want to begin to wrap this message up today by saying that if you have trusted in Christ Jesus, then you have been sealed. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as a promissory guarantee that you will be sanctified and glorified by Jesus Christ. I, I love this truth, again, found in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he says this, In him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth of the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in Jesus, also having believed. So you have trusted and you have believed in Jesus after you heard the good news of the gospel. So you heard him, you believed, you trusted. After that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, a promise, who is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, when you trust in Jesus after having heard the gospel, and you trust in his finished work on the cross, then you are saved and you're given the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you and it's like a promissory note promising that you will be fully redeemed. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And on the day of Christ Jesus, he will transform our lowly body that it will be like unto his glorious body. We will be in his presence. So he has saved us from the penalty of sin. He is saving us from the presence or the power of sin. He will save us from the presence of sin. But our focus right now is on sanctification. And this sanctifying work happens as the Spirit of God is working in us and we are working this salvation work out in our lives. So this means that you, if you're a Christian today, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is within you. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. And since the Holy Spirit is in you and you've been redeemed, he says, therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are God's possession. And so we're to walk these things out, work out our salvation. So we have been saved. 
We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And, and while you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit by Christ Jesus, which is what the scriptures say, the Apostle Paul also teaches that we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We need God to fill us up constantly. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the last part of the verse, Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the direct translation from the original language. So how do we receive this filling of the Spirit? How do you experience the increase of the production of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Again, I, I, so many things I want to say. Let me try to wrap this up. How do we receive the continual filling of the Holy Spirit so that we see the increase of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? First, here's the first thing you need to do. Ask. You need to ask the Lord to fill you, even if you've been filled before. One great saint once said, the reason I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit is because I leak. And I'm sure that you've experienced that. It's like, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you today. You need more of the Holy Spirit tomorrow. So how do you get that? Well, first you ask. Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, we're going to talk about this in a, in a couple of messages when we talk about prayer. But he says this to his disciples in Luke, chapter 11, verse, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will the father give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if you want to have more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and the overflow of the Holy Spirit from your life, in the form of the fruit of the Spirit coming from your life. The first thing you need to do is ask. Just pray, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Second thing you need to do is commit, by God's grace and enabling power, commit to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. So the second thing after you ask God to fill you is to walk in the Spirit by faith. This sanctification by the Spirit is it's a gradual, lifelong process in the Christian. It doesn't happen instantaneously. We need to constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking by faith, walking in the Spirit. And, and these things are very important. So as we wrap up today, I want to give you some very practical tips, some very practical ways that you can begin to do this thing of walking in the Spirit by faith. So how do we walk in the Spirit? Here's the, the practical application. I know you're watching. I don't know if you'll do this, but I hope that you'll, you'll try this little exercise with me as you're watching on your phone, on TV, whenever you're watching. Maybe it's Sunday morning. Maybe it's the middle of the night sometime. If you want to experience the overflow of God's Spirit's work in your life, first thing I want you to do is this right now as you're sitting there. I want you to quietly, in your own heart, before God, I want you to pray a very simple, silent prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. And just pray this very simple prayer. It goes something like this. God, is there one way that I have been walking in my flesh this last week? Just take a moment and ask, God, is there, is there any way this last week that I've been walking in my flesh? Would you show me? Now, that may be a hard prayer for you to pray, but I promise you, if you pray it, God's going to reveal something. Maybe already you, you already realize that there, there's some way in which you've not really been walking in the spirit, but you've been walking in the flesh this last week. Perhaps it's, it's anxiousness over something. There's a lot of anxiety-inducing things happening in our culture right now. So maybe it's just a, 
a consumption of anxiousness. You're worried about all kinds of different things. Maybe it could be anger. It could be that you're lacking faith or patience or self-control. When an incident of some area of your flesh is revealed to you, here's what I want you to do. So first thing is to pray, God reveal to me if there's any way that I've been walking in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. And, and as it's revealed to you, I want you to confess it. Confess it quietly to God right now as you're watching this. How do you confess? You just simply pray. God, I confess that when I got angry with my spouse this last week, or I was impatient with my kids this last week, I confess that that was sin, that was wrong. That was a work of the flesh and not of the spirit. And then ask God for his forgiveness and his cleansing. So just again, simply pray. All you have to do is pray. God, is there any way this last week that, that I have been walking in the flesh? Just show me an area and then confess it. Lord, I, I confess that what I did this last week was sin. And then ask for forgiveness and cleansing. God, would you forgive me of my impatience or cleanse me of my irritability, whatever it may be, cleanse me of this sin. The scriptures say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So here's these steps. First, pray, God revealed to me if there's any way this last week that I've been walking in the flesh and not walking in the spirit. Confess that as sin. Lord, I confess that what I did this last week was sin. Now ask for forgiveness. Father God, would you forgive me of my impatience and cleanse me of my irritability? And the next thing is, Pray for God's Spirit's empowering in your life to respond in the right way the next time because you're going to be tested in this again. You're going to have this problem, this opportunity to be impatient again this next week. Just simply pray, Holy Spirit, the next time that I'm in that situation, would you please give me your patience? This is key. It's not, it's not the fruit of miles. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, kindness, self-control. So God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, would you give me your patience or your self-control or your love for that person? These are the simple steps of practically applying the work of the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God in your life. So then you step out to walk by the Spirit. So this next week, you pray about something that you did last week. You, you ask the Lord if there's any way you've been walking in the flesh. You confess it. You ask for forgiveness. And then you ask for God to enable you, to empower you with his patience or, or his self-control the next time. And then this next week, when you're tested in this area, and you will be, then in that moment, when someone is doing something that is causing you to be impatient, or they're doing something that's causing you to lose your cool, or to become anxious, or whatever it may be, in that moment, pray, God, would you please give me your peace? Would you please give me your spirit? Would you please give me your self-control to overcome my flesh? This is where it gets really, really practical. The disciplines of a disciple are these things. Recognizing that it is the Spirit of God working in us by His power, by His grace, to help sanctify and cleanse and transform us, and then us acting that out, walking in faith, walking in the Spirit. God, I confess that I have been angry, that I have been lustful, I've been whatever it may be this last week, and would you give me your power? And then in the moment, when the temptation comes, when the the issue comes that's causing you anxiety or irritability or whatever it is, confess it and say, God, would you give me your self-control? Would you give me your love? Will you give me your peace? And here's the thing. If you fail, repeat step one. Confess, <laughs> wash, rinse, repeat. Go back through it again and start again. But if you're victorious, then thank God for 
his power, by his spirit that he gave in you to work this thing out and maybe share with us next week how God has helped you to walk in the spirit this week. This is the sanctifying work that God wants to do in us by his Holy Spirit. This is key as a disciple who's following the Lord to become a disciplined disciple. Here's what I have discovered in several decades of walking with Christ by his spirit. By God's spirit, we experience victory in our life of faith. It is the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit who gives us the victory. He's the one who makes us more than conquerors in Christ to be able to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to be able to walk in rightness. doesn't mean that we will do it always perfectly. We will fail, and when we fail, we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But God wants to sanctify us by the work of his Spirit in us as he works in us to will and to do his good pleasure, and we are working out our salvation by his enabling power. So, Father God, I pray right now for anyone watching this, and, and I pray that Those who are watching, they have put their trust in you. They've trusted in you for salvation. And I pray that they have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enable and empower your people to walk by faith and walk in the Spirit in a way that brings glory and honor to you, that's pleasing to you, but also is satisfying to us and is a witness to this world. So would you help your church, your people to be victorious in you this week in very specific and practical ways, in areas where we've been anxious, or we've been impatient, or we've been angry, or we've been unloving, Lord, that this week we would be patient and we would be kind and we'd be self-controlled and we'd have peace and we'd have love, we'd have joy. God, work this into your church because these things, the fruit of the Spirit, as they are seen in our lives, they, they attract other people to you, Lord. Because people want peace and they want self-control and they want joy and they want love. And those things ultimately are only found in you. So would you make your church victorious in these ways that we would manifest your spirit's fruit, your, the evidence of your presence, Lord, by your Holy Spirit in us. Do that work in your church, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.